Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Hi, I'm designer Kevin Kidney, and you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, El John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, a show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's playing in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm Al John Go, musician, longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culture fan. And you can email me, aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Well, Al John, happy Chinese New Year to you, my friend. Yes. Uh, it, yeah, you know, 2020 was the year of the tiger, and 2023 is the year of the rabbit. I love it. And, you know, the rabbit embodies a different energy focusing on relaxation, quietness, and contemplation. I did a little homework on this, Al John. I could tell. <laughs> you know, just, just just for our listeners. But uh, but uh, Dr. Hong Ling Lang, a lecturer in Mandarin at the University of Glasgow's School of Modern Languages and Culture, noted the rabbit is a very gentle and clever animal. It may not be the strongest of the 12 animals, but it's charms and speed attracts good qualities such as money, partnership, and success. Oh, and There you have it. So I hope everybody has a very successful uh, and profitable uh, 2023, all of our listeners out there. I think that is an awesome, awesome thing. I, I, was, uh, I was born in the year of the tiger uh, back in... And... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's awesome that this year is going to bring some prosperity, some complete, uh, some um, uh, some thoughtfulness, some mindfulness, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but you know, so that's that's awesome. But happy Lunar New Year to everyone out there, and uh, I'm definitely taking forward. I've got to eat. I've got to eat some Chinese food, Dave. There you go. I think that's going to be. I think there'll be a spike of. People eating uh, Chinese food all week long. I think so. I definitely need to get my bow buns going. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Oh, So it's been a really cool week, too. Uh, uh, Before we get into that, uh, writer, director Amanda Raymond is joining us on the show. And you know, you've known Amanda for a long time. 
I, I really have, you know, uh, she and I worked together at Disney for uh, a little bit and, uh, you know, she's gone on to produce, direct and write uh, projects. We're going to talk about uh, her latest uh, rom-com uh, that she has out that's uh, playing on Hulu. Yes, my uh, favorite and, girlfriend. Yeah, I, you know, so there's a lot to talk about there. Um, yeah, there's and there's a lot of news, a lot of Disney news. Well, yes, uh, and 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 pop culture news too. It just seems like it's been a very interesting start of the year, uh, losing a lot of legendary performers and 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 filmmakers out there. However, uh, before we get into that, let's play our awesome intro because once again, Dave is hunting all the cool stuff around streaming and media uh this week uh i have to tell i've i'm gonna tell our listeners i've told you dave that uh, i have i haven't seen a whole lot of stuff because i'm preparing for the adoption of our son and daughter we've been foster parents for throughout the pandemic and it's official this tuesday Boo, quote unquote, and Jack Jack, quote unquote, are are <laughs> are, are getting their final uh, adoption papers signed off by C- the judges Tuesday. Congratulations, my friend. Congratulations you. to you and Kristen. Uh, you. This is great. It's official. It's Stamp of approval. Official. Tuesday. I, yes, this Tuesday. It's a. Uh, it's been a long road, but uh, we're excited to officially be their parents. So uh, well, you've been their parents for years. This is true. (laughs) This is true. This is is just a technicality. This is a piece of paper, you know. And guess what, Dave? We're going to be planning our next trip to Disney. So I'm sure you are. Yeah, there you go. So (laughs) a little little celebratory. Exactly. We celebrated the fact that we got full custody of them back in the fall. So we went to Walt Disney World, and then we're going to go back again and uh bring the kids out there because you know we got to do a lot of things but not everything so we're going to get to do more things with them so awesome looking forward to that all right dave so what have you been checking out in the theaters and in streaming i have to tell you i went to see avatar the way of the water Mm -hmm. in imax 3d okay and i have to tell you i was blown away by this movie whoa absolutely blown away um, I will, I, I will say that visually it is absolutely stunning. Um, I think they nailed the 3d, um, and you know, I watched that movie. It's over three hours long with glasses on 3d glasses on didn't bother my eyes at all. And the 3d was just stunning. Wow. Absolutely stunning. And the underwater sequences were unbelievable you felt like you were standing in front of a gigantic aquarium that's awesome you know and i mean just look if i'd be shocked if this film doesn't win an academy award for uh visual effects Mm -hmm. i really would be i'd be very shocked It, it it's absolutely stunning i would recommend to any of our listeners out there even if you say well i can't do 3d these are the polarized glasses. Yeah. Um, and I have to tell you, it did not feel that way to me. It, it was mm. so well done. My eyes didn't bother me. And sometimes my eyes bother me with 3D movies, you know, um, and my eyes did not bother me on this one. Uh, and I again, I I didn't feel uh, so much like it was a three hour movie. I mean, it was long. 
but I, I still feel like he probably could have trimmed about a half an hour out of this film. Sure. Uh, but you know, incredible. If you have an opportunity to see this in uh, 3D in IMAX, I would highly recommend it. It was an incredible experience. Wow. Well, the film has been doing like gangbusters in the theater. Box office returns have been great. Reviews have been great. Rotten Tomato scores have been great. Uh, right now, I think it stands, what, maybe a 7.5, almost 8 uh, out of 10 over there in IMDb. So... Hey. Yeah, and I, and I would agree with that. I would absolutely agree with. It. I, I have to say, I like this film better than I liked the first Avatar. I think people are saying that. You know, it's, yeah. It's, 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 I think there was there was a lot more there 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 was conflict. Uh, there was a lot of action. Uh, it it was really well done. I mean, kudos to James Cameron. Well, that just means that there's more excitement for the franchise now more than ever. And uh, Disney, I guess it was worth the wait, considering, you know, uh, the delays in production over the course yeah. of five years. So, uh, hey, congratulations to James Cameron for, for knocking it out of the park. Uh, it's definitely on my list of to, to see movies ever since the reviews came back. And I'm one of those people, Dave. I really enjoy reading what people say about the films, and I love to hear your insights on the film. Yeah. So it's glad that it comes highly recommended from you. Yeah, you know, I, I have to tell you, I uh, just uh, am thrilled uh, with uh, having seen that film. Uh, and, you know, look, I saw Babylon uh, weeks ago, which was also about three hours. And uh, I, I mean, it felt like it was six hours. It was awful. You know, it was a Ugh. terrible movie. I, I hated it. Uh. Uh, and I know that's strong language to use, but I, I honestly dislike that film. Uh, I thought it was all over the map. Uh, it didn't hold my attention. I didn't care about any of the characters. Um, but this movie is an incredible experience. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you are drawn into the story. You are not distracted by uh, the visual effects and the CG characters because they are so well done, yeah. so flawless. It's amazing. You know, there there wasn't one scene where you kind of got pulled out of the film and you were like, ooh, that looks really computer generated. You know how that happens oh, sometimes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That That was not the case here. You know, um, I, I mean, you you were you were brought right into this film you care about these characters uh, the 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 cg of these characters is so well done uh they they felt real to me well that's great i i like it and i am looking forward to seeing something something new and fresh and yeah. uh, i think this may be kind of that reboot uh it's not a reboot mentality per se it's just kind of like uh, here we are. We're telling we're we're going to start a new story arc for these characters, right? right? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, obviously, they're going to make another one, uh, probably another two. And and you know, the other thing I want people to understand is that when I went in there into that theater, the trailers were spectacular. They had an oh. Ant Man trailer in three yeah. D. Yeah. Uh, they had Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Chapter 3 yep. uh, in 3D. Yep. Um, they also, not in 3D, but they had an extended trailer. It must have been five or six minutes long, easily, 
of uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. And it was all about that stunt. You've heard about this stunt Tom Cruise has done for the film, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. They built a motorcycle ramp on top of this bluff. And I don't know where they were in Europe. But the edge of the ramp, it drops off. It's like, I don't know what it is, a 1,000, 1,500-foot drop, a sheer rock face. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. They had to helicopter everything into the into this particular area. There were no roads in. They helicoptered in all of this stuff and built this scaffolding for this ramp. Right? Yeah. And then Tom Cruise gets on a motorcycle, goes tearing down this ramp, and shoots off the top of this cliff. Yeah. Let's go of the motorcycle. There's no safety wires, nothing attached to him. He lets go of the motorcycle, which starts to fall, spinning down, falling to earth. And he's free falling and then rips, you know, the parachute, pulls the rip cord. Yeah. And and parachutes, you know, uh, down. Yeah. I, it, it's unbelievable. They made a small film just of this stunt. Yeah. And you have to see, and and by the way, I cannot wait to see that film. Yeah, I'll be honest, I can't wait either. <laughs> it's a, but I mean, the you know. this stunt, the stunt is unbelievable. And and if you, you look, I think you can see this on YouTube. But honestly, to see it on an IMAX screen, you're just in awe. Like this is insanity. That that, I, and I don't even know how the studios allow him to do this stuff. You know, I mean, what's I really, his, what's, I his, mean, what's his Lloyd's of London uh, policy like? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and, and by the way, by the way, he didn't just do it once. He did it several times. Oh, I can't believe that. You know, he did it several times. Oh, gosh. So uh, that well, was that was a, a real treat to see that on the big screen. The other stuff I've been watching. Well, let's put, a, put a pause on there. Put a pause on okay. that. Okay. All right. That's filmmaking, right? Is it yes. not? Oh, it's absolutely. Like, absolutely. It's, it's Hollywood filmmaking. Back at its when, best, at its best, right? I mean, yeah. this is like all the way back to like the Ten Commandments and doing those big films like that. I mean, this is real Hollywood magic. Yeah, no, it, it, it's spectacular. Yeah. It really is. It, it was such a treat being in the theater and seeing those great trailers, yeah. and then seeing a really great film. He knows what people want to see. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he's delivering. That's for sure. Yes. You know. Yes. So um, aside from that, uh, I also watched on BritBox through Amazon Prime uh, a three episodes. John Stonehouse. Sorry, I was Stonehouse. <laughs> First rung on the ladder. Who knows where it will lead? Well, I just had to bring up that Stonehouse trailer. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is this is a really cool trailer. So, so Stonehouse uh, is pretty fantastic, uh, I have to say. Uh, it stars, uh, hold on a second. It stars Matthew McFadden, yes. uh, who you might recognize from uh, Succession. Yeah. Um, he's married to the daughter uh, in Succession. Uh, he, he's terrific. He really is. But I'll give you just a, a little synopsis of this. The life and times of disgraced labor minister John Stonehouse are dramatized in this series starring Matthew McFadden and co-starring Keely Hawes. 
The series relates how Stonehouse, a high-flying member of Harold Wilson's government, vanished from the beach of a luxury hotel in Florida, November 1974, leaving a neatly folded pile of clothes as he swam into the sea with the intent of faking his own death. However, it becomes apparent that his reputation masked some very dark secrets. This is this almost is a dramedy, I have to tell you. And it's so entertaining. It's hilarious. It's hilarious from the standpoint that you can't believe that this guy actually did this because it's all based on a true story, a true story that's dramatized, I have to say. Right. But uh, if you have an opportunity, check this out. Stonehouse. Um, I highly recommend it. Three episodes. I think there are three one-hour episodes or something. It's fantastic. It really is. Oh, so 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 only three episodes in the season, or only three episodes so far? It's just three episodes. It, it, wow. It's a limited series. Oh, I love it. Well, that's yeah. a good. That's a good yeah. easy watch. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. It it, it it wraps the story up in, in a very neat, uh, tight package. Gotcha. That's all I'll say. There's not a lot of waste in there. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Great. I also watched also on BritBox uh, a uh, show called uh, Black Work, uh, starring Sheridan Smith, uh, Geraldine James. Uh, you know, uh, several recognizable um, British actors. Yes. And uh, it, the crime drama Black Work stars Sheridan Smith uh, as Leeds Police Constable Joe Gillespie. When Joe's husband, undercover officer Ryan, is tragically murdered, her world falls apart. With daughter Melly and stepson Hal under Joe's care, she tries to persevere through her heartache and uncover the truth behind Ryan's death. So this is this is actually a lot of twists and turns and uh, really well done. I enjoyed it. So you could check out Black Work. Uh, we finished watching Deep State, uh, the second season of Deep State, and there's only two seasons of it. Uh, extremely well done. Uh, the second season stars uh, Walter uh, Walton Groggins, if you remember him from um, Justified. Yes. Um, played the villain in Justified. A terrific actor. Really great. He's also in um, uh, the Gemstones right. uh, 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 series with John Goodman. Uh, so you can check out deep state. It's a spy thriller, really well done shot in a lot of locations around Europe and North Africa. And then uh, we uh, finally uh, watched, uh, we binge watched the entire se- uh, season six, the final season of better call Saul. There you go. And I-, I have to say it was terrific overall. I thought the last episode, the end of the season, the season finale, uh fell a little flat for me uh but that's just me um i have to say throughout season six there were cameos uh brian cranston um who's the other one that played uh uh in breaking bad um oh with I brian, it up there. Uh, the, the younger guy I, I can't remember his name right anyway anyway uh it, it you know again it, it was a nice end to a really fantastic show better call saul season six hey, there you go very nice so that's what i've been watching nice. what have you been watching not a whole lot uh i will what, say what kind of horror movies have what, you been watching okay so there you go uh <laughs> so actually we've been watching some some docuseries um abc news put together a docuseries called web of death 
It's about murder solved by online true crime sleuths. And you know that um, that documentary on Netflix, uh, Don't F With Cats, where the internet sleuths came together to find a killer uh, who posted this viral video uh, in the dark web or whatever. And they found they finally found him after years of, of, of helping uh, law enforcement find him. And so yeah. this series takes that uh, kind of uh, premise and follows these stories from the internet. And it's uh, this first one was about uh, Abraham, um, th- this uh, this lottery winner in or in Florida uh, that fa- that won. Just he came from nothing, um, very hardworking man, and he ended up getting to be a millionaire overnight, multimillionaire overnight. And then there were some suspicions around his disappearance, you know? And so, uh, so that's basically what this first episode was about. Adam Abraham Shakespeare is his name. And he won $30 million in a a lottery jackpot in 2006. And he mysteriously vanished in 2009. Come to find out, you know, this person that befriended him, this woman who was a con artist and, you know, Ended up uh, killing him, unfortunately. Wow! So it, it's a it's it's one of those things. But the internet helped find his whereabouts. So uh, it's a very good series. So uh, check that out. And then, of course, uh, we speaking of uh, serial killers, uh, uh, Kristen and I also <laughs> continue to watch Criminal Minds Evolution on Paramount Plus as it continues its weekly drop. And that is a great show. I'm a big fan of Paget Brewster uh, as well as. Um, uh, the rest of the cast are they're great, so uh, we continue to follow the behavioral unit of the FBI find a stream of ser- serial killers. So that there and, you go. And, am I correct? In uh, I thought I saw a blurb about one of these crime shows ending. It was I like SVU Los Angeles or something. Like yeah, that? I can't. Or, I, it's or, probably or NCIS. Law Law and Order Los Angeles or something. Yeah, there there's a you know look these shows have been on the air they. You know, for like twenty years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think this one, uh, whatever it was, Los Angeles, uh, was on for thirteen, fourteen seasons. Oh yeah, it's probably NCIS. Uh, uh, NCIS Los Angeles is is calling it quits after fourteen. Uh, 14 there you seasons. Go. You know, it's funny. It's like uh, the AV Club says after a measly fourteen seasons. I like measly fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> fourteen seasons. Fourteen seasons of any TV show is a milestone, guys. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's Absolutely. it's rare that these shows ever you know uh, continue on because you know yeah shows like The Rookie and things like that. You know when it comes to these police and police dramas, uh, they have found their footing. Uh, for whatever reason, people love to see, and it's. I think it's casting. They've done such a wonderful job of casting shows like Law and Order and Law and Order SVU and all those other, you know, NCIS. These shows that people just keep on coming back. Um, yeah, it's true. It's, it's I mean, good it's, drama. And it's it, well written. If it wasn't well written, people would not come back. That's exactly right. You know, so that's what we've been watching, gang. Once again. Please send us your emails and let us know what's on your watch list and we'll give it a watch. Uh, And you never know. Maybe we'll discuss it in a future episode. Skull Rock Podcast. This week in Disney and pop culture. You know what I think, Dave? With all this heaviness going around, I think it's just time for us to sound the horn. (laughs) 
Our people are scattered. Like stars in the galaxy. What are we? What do we stand for? Every time I hear that horn, I just say, it's time. I, I, I just love it, man. I absolutely love it. You know? Star Wars' take on the Old West is back, the Mandalorian. And here we are. Every time I hear that, I just look at the, the cactus and the tumbleweeds, and I look at the old showdown at the OK Corral. The Mandalorian is back. Season 3 begins on Disney Plus March 1st. And here's the boilerplate. The journey of the Mandalorian through Star Wars Galaxy continues once a lone bounty hunter, Din Jaren, has reunited with Grogu, Baby Yoda. Uh, meanwhile, the New Republic struggles to find their way through the galaxy from its dark history. The Mandalorian will cross paths with old allies and make new enemies as he and Grogu continue their journey together. Of course, the uh, cast continues. Pedro Pascal as a Mandalorian. Katie Sackhoff uh, returns. Carl Weathers, Amy Sedaris, Emily Swallow, and Giancarlo Esposito, everybody's uh, favorite villain, will be returning to the show. So uh, I can't wait. I I have to tell you, I loved seeing this trailer. I absolutely loved it. It was just fantastic, you know? Yeah. And um, thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, And I'm looking forward to this dropping. They know how to do trailers. I mean, you've got the the Lucasfilm stuff they've dropped. They've got the Indiana Jones stuff they've dropped. Uh, Of course, all the Marvel stuff that you talked about earlier with Ant-Man and the Wasp coming out. They know how to do trailers, so our appetite is wet now. We're ready. Yeah, and you know something? To me, these are movies you have to see uh, in, you know, you have to see them in a theater. You have to see them on a big screen. They're they're trying to outdo the last one. Of course. You know, whatever the last one is, the next one has to outdo it because the audience appetite is insatiable. Uh, absolutely. You know, Ant-Man and the Wasp is going to be a huge blockbuster and part of the MCU, the biggest franchise in the in the world uh, that's ever yeah. been. Uh, so we're going to uh, we're going to take the time to uh, I think we're going to have to get a babysitter this time, Dave, and, and, and see it in IMAX instead of the drive in. Honestly, you, you need to. Yeah, you need I, to I think that's a date movie. Uh, Bob Chapek. Okay, so as the world turns and churns <laughs> the sands of the hourglass, Bob Chapek's Disney Severance deal valued at more than $20 million in the 2022 pay package. Uh, that was huge. I mean, that's... That, that was on top of his 2022 salary. Yeah. So yeah. $24.2 million. The pay disclosures come after a tumultuous view a few months with the company as uh, JPEG was being ousted only to be replaced by the predecessor, Bob Iger. It's like he never left. We, we've talked about that. That's reported by The Hollywood Reporter. And uh, I, I think he's okay. What do you think? Well, I got to tell you something. That wasn't as shocking to read about no, at all that no. that's kind of like standard stuff right the the shocking story was if you remember there was a head of corporate communications that he uh, chapek hired he was only there for like 75 days yes and in the wall street journal it was revealed that for those 75 days that head of corporate communications was paid $119,000 in change per day. 
Holy Moses. Yeah, he had like an eight and a half million dollar pay package just for those 75 days he was with the company. And if you remember, he resigned after the whole debacle in Florida. <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it's really it, it. And there's all these cross currents going on, Al John. I have to tell you, uh, because this next story about Nelson Peltz battling for a seat on the uh, Disney Board of Directors, he's got Ike. Perlmutter's uh, in uh, in his corner as sort of a, a revenge play by Ike. Of course it is. Okay. So and you remember Ike, right? I, of I mean, course he was I the, do. He was the chairman of, of uh, Marvel, Marvel, right? Of course. So let's back the truck up. So uh, <laughs> this is the behind the scenes. The, this is the inside baseball view behind the scenes of Disney with the investor battle with the activist uh, and then the Marvel mogul who was ousted all right, so you've got the activist shareholder, Nelson Peltz, that we, we've talked about before on the show, has a long shot fight for a seat on Disney's corporate board with help from former Marvel head honcho Ike Perlmutter. Bob Iger appears to be solidifying his control um, in 2004, Roy Disney. Okay, you, you know this story very well. <laughs> Walt Stephanie yeah. was summoned by Disney shareholders to the company's annual meeting, asking them to oust then chairman Michael Eisner, who was a CEO. So we had that coup that happened. Now, at age 80, Nelson Peltz is old enough to remember one of the most successful shareholder revolts in corporate Disney history, going back to the Roy Disney uh, situation that you've written about many times. So he's bounded together by Ike Perlmutter, the formal Marvel Entertainment CEO that has some score to settle with Iger dating back to 2015 when he was ousted out of Marvel. Um, and so they've got this whole situation where they're banding together and he's putting together uh, basically a, a big company of, of uh, and, and showing shareholders, look, this is what I've done with all the stuff that I've done to turn companies around. I'm being very vocal about this. He's going on all kinds of different talk shows and things, uh, making his play to be a board member. I mean, is this something, you know, with this try-in group uh, that uh, I guess he's had a seat on so many different train uh, boards. train is it train is that how you yeah, pronounce yeah it? it's it's about yeah it's it's pronounced train okay the train group uh he's being very vocal dave i've seen him on different talk shows on uh, on news outlets etc uh how is this going to work because the board is made up of so many seats there are short several seats but i don't know how much the the tr uh, the train fund actually has purchased in terms of uh, shares. They 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 had accumulated at least nine hundred million dollars, you know. But but realize, you know, that's you know that that's a significant stake, but it's also not a major stake, right? You know, and you have to realize the Walt Disney Company has a lot of shareholders. There's a lot of small shareholders uh, with uh, the Walt Disney Company. And, you know, listen, he he's you, you can't make a comparison of this to what Roy E did. Right. That, that's apples and oranges, mm -hmm. you know, and I said this last week, Al John, uh, I'm I'm going to vote on my proxy with Bob Iger and current Disney management. 
Right. Um, you know, as much as Nelson Peltz has done some really good things for shareholder value with other companies, as I said, you know, when you're turning out widgets, you know, beauty products or detergent or, you know, flavored sugar water in bottles, uh, you know, those are commodity items, right. you know, the Walt Disney company is completely different. Yeah. Uh, and Nelson Peltz doesn't have the experience within the media space. Yes. Uh, and uh, honestly, it, you know, he wants to squeeze uh, shareholder value, which is fine, but at what expense? And that's what all of the Disney fans that own stock need to think about. Right. You know, uh, this is like Saul Steinberg back in the mid 80s who wanted to buy the Walt Disney company so that he could sell the film library and sell off the parks and just butcher the company up because he felt the pieces were more valuable than the whole. Um, I stated it last week and I'm going to say it again. Give Bob Iger the next 12 months uh, to work his magic. Uh, he's got the track record. Uh, he's the guy that I'm going to, I'm going to bet with. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's how I look at it. Reuters, you know? yeah, Reuters and a bunch of other, um, news outlets uh, have also chimed in saying Disney says Peltz lacks the skills to help business as a proxy battle heats up. Um, yeah. and of course, Peltz also put together the website about writing Disney, you know, uh, I, I'd forgotten the name of the, the website that I checked out earlier, but, um, you know, he's doing everything in his power to kind of look at, you know, this is the proposal that he has, and he's going to go out there and, and point out the different things that he can do to write the, the ship. But at the end of the day, uh, as successful as these people are, Dave, you know, much like Bob Chapek, right? Uh, you you can be a successful leader, successful leader in a successful leader in business, but maybe not the Disney business, right? But, you know, look, we've always said, the, the Walt Disney Company is a very different animal. Uh, it really is. And I think that, uh, you know, again, uh, I, I think Nelson Peltz uh, is a fly in the ointment right now. Yeah. Uh, and they should let, uh, let Bob Iger uh, do his thing. And, uh, and if anybody's going to write the company, it's going to be Bob Iger because he knows the company and he's also a fan of the company. If you follow the media and the news bits and pieces that we follow here and, and talk about on this show, you'll notice that Josh DeMauro has also claimed credit for a lot of the different things and uh, policies that he's reinstituted to make consumers happy. Over the past few months, uh, he's taking credit for these things. I feel like he's distancing himself just a little bit to make him stand out as a possible heir to the throne, if you will. Um, maybe that stuff is going on, but that stuff is real. You know, there's a lot of jockeying going on behind the scenes, you know, and uh, all I can say is I'm going to put my full trust uh, in uh, Bob Iger. Well, uh, and that's really what what most people should be doing. Most of the shareholders out there should side with management. You well, know, there you go. You know, these are the this is the brain trust that's uh, that's been able to find, you know, different ways and, 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 and navigate throughout this business. And maybe Mark Parker will lend his, uh, you know, not maybe, but he will lend his expertise in finding the next heir uh, who will lead the company yeah. into a, a prosperous future. 
And, and by, by the way, uh, you know, last week uh, I uh, was at a lunch uh, in the Rotunda dining room, oh, uh, which yes. is the executive dining room at the Disney Studios. Do tell. And, and, and we did. And we saw Bob Iger and Mark Parker. They stopped by the table. They said hello. Bob introduced Mark uh, to the group. And uh, they both look very relaxed. Uh, and uh, I just have to say. You know, there there's a lot going on at the company and uh, people are going to be coming back in the, in a couple of weeks time. There's going to be more people on the studio lot. I think the place is going to get back on track. Uh, he's making all the right moves. You know, he's rolled back some of the price hikes at uh, the parks. Uh, he's really he just took a tour of Walt Disney World. He's really getting back into the saddle and. All I can say is uh, give the guy the next 12 months. Uh, he's here for two years, but I think in the next 12 months, he's going to make some significant improvements. And that's uh, really where you want to bet. You know, uh, if you don't follow Dave on social, I invite you to because he posted <laughs> pictures of literally the Avengers of the the, the second golden era of, of Disney um, filmmaking. You know, everybody was there from Don Hahn to Leonard Maltin to everybody and uh, all the great filmmakers and the artists and the talented people and producers that have made films that we all love that we talk about on this show specifically. And it's so good to see everybody reunited together. In one place. Yeah, I, I have to tell you that that was the best part about it was was, was seeing, you know, John Kmaker and Andreas Deja yes. and, you know, Ron Clemens and Don Hahn and Eric Goldberg and, you know, uh, all of these folks, Leonard Malton and Jerry Beck and Paula Lowry and just see the, just seeing everybody in person and, and being able to sit and chat during lunch and and catch up with everybody. It was just, it was just fantastic. You know, life is too short. And, you know, I I went back and I thought about a lot of things over this past week as as we're getting ready to adopt our kids and and I said there was a time when we were all afraid for our lives you know yeah. not to get bring this heavy heaviness into the show it's such a, a high point but you know I you know who knows what happened or what could have happened in in the state of fear that we we're living but now that we're out and about um it's great to see people and it makes you take another a look at, at where we are and how far we've come and go, wow, it's amazing that we can spend this time, enjoy the time together, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Take every day. And I, you know, my philosophy is choke the life out of every day. <laughs> there you go. Force you know? choke it, Dave, like Darth Vader would force choke, choke the life out of choke it. <laughs> the life out of every day. Do, do as much as you can. Cause you don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow. There you go. You know? I love it. All right. All right. Anyway. So enough about that, but it's great that you saw Bob Iger. That's amazing. But uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep you updated with all this stuff that's going on behind the scenes of the Walt Disney company. And we only do it because we care. We just want this and company to succeed. And, and by the way, I will tell you that the, the Disney stock has gone over $100 on Friday uh, for first time in a long time. Uh, I think I think that the market is telling everybody that they have confidence in what's going on with Bob Iger and Mark Parker and the team, the, the senior management team at Disney. They know the company. They know what they're doing. Let them do their thing. You know, the company really got slammed in, you know, from several different sides during this pandemic. 
You know, I mean, the parks got shut down. The cruise lines were shut down. The, you know, vacation clubs were shut down. The theaters were shut down. I mean, much of the Disney businesses were were just shuttered during this pandemic. So give them the 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 time they need to bring it all back. And that's what they're doing, you know, and. You know, in a lot of ways, it it just seems like I don't know what kind of foresight. I don't know what happened, but you know, uh, Bob Chapek, you know, could have been that sacrificial lamb. It just seems to me like, like I get that. Like I, I know there's some bad moves and, and other things like that, but yes, give them some opportunities to kind of get back on their feet, if you will. And it's not just that company; it's a lot of companies out there, yeah, yeah. Um, that are struggling, that are trying to make sure that their value, their consumers, their shareholders are all appeased and, and, and understand, look, let's, let's get to this great place where we can all get back into business as usual, trust in the brand, trust in the people to make decisions uh, and good decisions and, and Disney's back on track supposedly. So, you know, there we go. And, and there you go. Uh, last, but uh, well, not last, but least, but I have to mention uh, the Miyagi verse has never been stronger. However, Cobra Kai one of my favorite shows on Netflix is going to be shuttering down after this next season. Uh, of course, this uh, show has reunited the Karate Kid stars Ralph Macchio and William Zadka to reprise their roles for the sixth and final season on Netflix, apparently. And uh, I can't wait, Dave. It seems to me that this is a natural end of the show. And uh, it's been great because I feel like it's not only just really sparking the nostalgia bug in me of the characters that I've grew to love over so many decades. But, uh, and they look great by the way, but the, this is I, a great know, I, I have to fans. watch this. I, I have not, I have to admit, I have not seen any of Cobra Kai. I I've heard a lot of things about it. It's on my list and I am going to wind up binge watching some of the seasons. Well, it's, it's an easy watch because the shows are very small in length. I mean, they're like 30 minute shows. Oh, fantastic. So uh, you can get through pretty quickly, especially after five seasons. And I will say there's some hokey, uh, there's some hokey kind of teenage angst and drama in there. So it's kind of like Dawson's Creek, but with karate, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> and right. That's, a, that's a very dated term, but yeah, Dawson's <laughs> Creek, uh, more like Riverdale, maybe more like Riverdale with karate, okay. but it's, it's still very good because, you know, uh, the stars, the older stars still have it. And it's it's that that thread of of parents and children and how they interact and how they're bullied in school that kind of makes it happen. So you know it's kind of uh, thirteen reasons why, but less with the whole drama aspect. It, it does have great humor. All right, all right, and another great uh, passes over the Rainbow Bridge this week. Dave, acclaimed singer songwriter and of course counterculture hero, dies. It is David Crosby of the legendary Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young at times. Uh, Many anthems of the 60s and 70s, Dave, and uh, Mr. Crosby, he's been a part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the music community for decades. Twice. Twice, He got uh, inducted once for his uh, part in The Birds. That's right. And uh, once as part of Crosby, Stills, Nash. That's right. right. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, I mean... Honestly, just shocking that he was able to live to 81, you know, considering <laughs> what he did to himself. You know, uh, I mean, you know, he uh, 
he he was addicted to heroin. He had problems with alcohol. He had been in prison. Uh, I mean, really, uh, these are all the undercurrents of this, you know, incredible songwriter, okay. uh, musician. And, uh, you know, he le- leaves behind an, a, a, an unbelievable body of work. Uh, but, uh, my gosh, you know, I mean, he had a liver transplant. I mean, you know, just, uh, he, you know, really lived life on the edge. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, um, I think it's important to note that Melissa Etheridge thanks David Crosby, whose gift, uh, I, I, I was one of the best kept secrets. Um, the father of Melissa Etheridge's two children. Did you know that? Yes, I did know that. He, uh-huh. he was he yeah. was a donor, um, you know, to the sperm donor to her two children. Yeah. And uh, I'd met Melissa Etheridge and she's she's great. Like I like Melissa mm-hmm. Etheridge a lot. I think she's wonderful and the fact that, you know, his uh, I guess his legacy will continue through that. I think that's yeah. something really cool, you know. Um I, Yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. you know. And I I do think um, you know, uh it's like Anytime some of these legendary singer songwriters passes away, I always boot up some of the albums Uh, and and it's just, it's amazing. You know, when you listen to some of these songs that you haven't heard in a long time, they still hold. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a reason why he's a two time, as you mentioned, uh, rock and roll hall of famer. His contributions to pop culture and music are far reaching and he will be missed. So rest in peace. And, you know, we shouldn't forget that uh, uh, right after last week's show dropped, uh, Gina Lola Brigida passed away. Oh, the that's right. uh, legendary Italian screen siren uh, oh, yes. was 95. And, you know, wow. she was she was another one who, uh, you know, they they uh, looked at her as just, you know, just a, a, a you know, beautiful woman. Uh, but she was a very brilliant woman from a business standpoint and really amassed a small fortune. Yeah. Well, you know, that name was certainly out there uh, when I was growing up for sure. And uh, what a, what a legendary name in the business of entertainment. So rest in peace. Absolutely. Now it's time for our interview of the week. Here she is producer, director, and writer Amanda Raymond on the skull rock podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Al John, once again, we have a fantastic guest. We have an old colleague of mine from the Walt Disney Animation Studios, Amanda Raymond, who is a writer, producer, director. And I have to tell you, uh, for first off, Amanda, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. See, our studio audience is already going wild. Calm down, you guys. Come on. You know, <laughs> uh, Amanda, I know you've got a new movie out. You directed My Favorite Girlfriend, which is on Hulu, which is part of the Disney Plus bundle. Uh, and uh, before we even get to any of that, which is going to be a fantastic discussion, I know, I want to I just step back in time and say, how did you get to Los Angeles and how did you get into directing movies? Cause what was your path? And that's what our listeners really want to hear. How did you do it? Because you came from upstate New York, right? I did. Yep. Syracuse, New York. Um, my path was a very non-conventional one. Um, I started off at Syracuse university. I was in visual and performing arts. 
Um, and then I switched over to uh, an equally useful degree in psychology and creative writing. Um, I came out to LA initially to be an actor. I did that for a while, but before I got into acting and stage acting when I was in New York, I always wanted to be a Disney animator. And so like I knew who the nine old men were. I knew who everyone was of the golden age of Disney animation. And I started temping and Nickelodeon just to pay the bills. And I met an art director there and we were trying to talking and he's like, how do you know who all these people are? He's like, you should work in animation. I'm like, well, I want to be an actress. He's like, yeah, well, we'll give you a job here, but you know, you can't be running off to uh, Santa Monica three hours for an audition. So it's kind of like pick and choose. So I still do stage. I still do theater. Um, I still worked in animation for years, which is how I met you, Dave. That's right. Um, we worked together for a number of years. Yeah. Um, and then I went from Disney and I ended up at the Jim Henson Company and I worked there. And that was kind of my first foray into live action. I was kind of a second second on a show there called Sid the Science Kid, which is a show for PBS um, that Henson did. And now then, when you when you say second second, what do you mean? What t- t- Tell our audience what a second second is. Uh, so I was like a second second as like an AD or assistant director. So I was helping out the uh, first assistant director, you know, who kind of like stage manages and kind of does everything on the floor there for the show. Um, and he was very happy with me and he brought me on to a live action project and he brought me on to be a coordinator, coordinator onto that. And then from there he said, Hey, I'm doing some movies with Blumhouse. I think you'd be really good as a director's assistant. And I went on to, um, direct, uh, or be a director's assistant for Rob Cohen on Boy Next Door and Greg McLean for, uh, The Darkness, both for Blumhouse. And in watching them and assisting them, I was like, I really would love to direct that. That's the thing, what I want to do next. Um, and then I went back to Disney and I worked in publicity for a number of years. And then from there, um, I got an idea for a short film. Um, I left Disney to do the short film. The short film got not to, out to the top 10, obviously, but it got into the top 20 uh, for Academy Consideration for 2020. Um, and the short film got me my first feature film um, that I wrote. What was that short film? Uh, the short film is called From Emily. And, and just a, brief, briefly, what it's about, what, it, what is it about? So the the basic premise is a a married man is haunted by an ex fling when he hears her plane's gone down in a crash, and uh, you know he gets more than he bargained for. Uh, it's kind of very much a time um, uh, a Twilight Zoney type episode. Okay. I have a feature film of it as well that has been optioned by producers that is in the works, um, which is fun. And um, but that short got me my first feature that I wrote and directed, and then my first feature got me my second feature. And then I'm on to the next thing. So, so your first feature was "You Are My," uh, "You Are My Home," mm-hmm. right? And yep. your second feature is "My Favorite Girlfriend," which is on Hulu right now. Mm-hmm. So, so let's step back. So, you went from from uh, from Emily, the mm-hmm. short. Mm-hmm. You were able to get "You Are My Home." as mm-hmm. a director. Now, how did that happen? Because people saw your short in yeah. screenings, right? Is that what it boiled down to? Well, that and I had a producer who was a consultant for me on the short and he saw me while I was shooting the short and he saw the preparation I was doing and he saw me on set and and he was like, I think you'd be, you should be doing a feature. He's like, I have this little stupid Christmas movie, you know, it's not much of anything, but you know, if you're interested and I'm just like, yeah, sounds great. So <laughs> you you are my home is a Christmas film. Is it, was it like a Hallmark uh, you know, like a Hallmark Channel Netflix, film or something like Netflix. that. Netflix. <laughs> well, it's, it's on Netflix. Yes. Okay, it's Netflix. Netflix. Okay, got yeah. it. <laughs> All right. Um, and the goal was always to make it not a a Hallmark film. I mean, the basic premise is that an eleven year old girl is separated from her parents by ICE, and her mom is deported back to Mexico, and then she's put in a foster care situation with a woman who had lost her 
um, husband and her son about five years prior. And the two of them have like a baby boom Kramer versus Kramer situation where they're not getting along. They just don't see eye to eye. And then eventually they form a bond and a connection. And this woman thinks, gosh, what am I going to do when this little girl's mom comes back? You know, she's Mm -hmm. kind of brought sunshine back into my heart. And I hate to think of what I'm going to have to do without her. Um, and so because of the issues like dealing with immigration and stuff, I got Alyssa Milano involved because I knew she was a big activist. And even yeah. though it was a little movie with no budget, even my casting director was like, you're never going to get Alyssa Milano. I was like, I don't care. Go to her, you know, go right. to her. And she loved the script. She loved what I wrote. And she said, I originally approached her for the lead. And she said, Amanda, I love your script. I love the message here. And, uh, but I'm not going to play the lead. And I was like, oh, Okay. Um, and she says, I will not be the great white savior to save this little girl. She says, you know, you have to have somebody that's of diversity in this lead. And I will play the social work because I really like that part. Mm. Like, wow, smart on you. That's awesome. That is awesome. Let me ask you something. Uh, how long did it take to shoot? You are my home. Like, I I want people to kind of understand, like, you know, when you sit down to watch a two hour movie, you're thinking, wow, you know, how long could it make? You know, how long can it take to shoot this movie? You know, I I mean, it's was it months? Was it weeks? What was your shooting schedule? I had 17 days. (laughs) So you had 17 days shooting schedule. Wow. It was short. And did you do a lot of location stuff? Did you do anything on stages? No, everything was location. We shot it all in uh, Southern Texas. So everything was local schools, local buildings. Um, everything was practical. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That That's kind of guerrilla filmmaking, isn't it? Yeah. Would you say? <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. now when you, when you're, when you're doing your first feature, um, did you get to pick your crew or was it more about uh, the producer you're working with and he knew like an AD to work with you or whatever? I mean, how did that happen? How did that come together for you? Um, well, the, the DP was the one that had shot my shorts. So I brought him and his team along with me in the camera department. Um, the first AD was a recommendation from a friend. Um, yeah. So it was in Texas um, then the rest of the team, it was basically like, hey, this is who your head of, you know, your HOD is of, of makeup. This is who your wardrobe person is. So I was like, okay. um, I don't get to pick them. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's but, not normally how that works. But. <laughs> but, 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 you know, I would imagine, though, like probably the most important selections are the AD and mm-hmm. your DP, right? Your director of photography and your uh, your your assistant director, right? Well, and and hair and makeup, and for the reason that they are the first person that sees your actor on set in the morning, and so they will okay. set the tone and set the mood. So if your actor is in a great mood when they come to set, they are able to talk things out and work it out with their hairdresser, stylist, whoever it is in the morning. Or if they come to set in a bad mood, something did not work out, and they're not happy. Okay, so. got it, got it. Yeah, <laughs> was, you know, there's a lot of behind the scenes drama when you're doing films, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so very, seven, very se- seventeen days, and you got it done. Mm-hmm. And were they like 14, 18 hour shooting days? Um, I never went over 12 and a half hours because, you know, a 12 hour day is a typical shooting day for live action. Okay. And my, my goal is unless it's absolutely necessary, I don't want to push my crew more than 12 hours because I just I don't think it's right. And I don't think it's just it's poor planning. It's like you didn't yeah. plan properly if you go over that. Yeah. And uh, and who sets up like I, I'm imagining you have somebody who's determining what shots are going to be done each day. Right. 
Yeah, because we I create the shot list with my DP. So we go through all the scenes and we break them down about how many shots, how many angles, you know, whatever that we need. And then the AD is the one that creates the schedule. And they'll say, okay, so on Tuesday, we're doing scene 26, scene four, scene 32, um, uh, you know, a pickup from we didn't make that shot yesterday. So we're going to pick up from yesterday for an insert of a hand or whatever. Um, so we already have the shots planned out, but in Tara's a scene structure, it's like, okay, we're shooting everything in the kitchen today. So nothing's really usually shot chronologically. Right. Uh, that, that's what I was kind of getting at. So like, you know, if you're shooting at one particular house, you're going to be at that house for several days and shoot all of the scenes that'll be at that house. Right. And then you move on to the next location. And then it's really up to your editor who's going to then, you know, cut everything together in some kind of sequence with you. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what was your experience doing your first feature? Um, it was very difficult. Um, I had a wonderful experience on my short film. Um, my feature was, um, my second feature was much better. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly, I, I would, I would imagine that that's the case. And, you know, uh, I, I think a year ago we did an interview with, uh, Rob Minkoff and he was talking about his first feature, Stuart, Stuart Little. You know, and uh, and some difficulties he had, he conveyed, you know, so but but I think that's probably the case for everybody. It's a learning curve, right? It's a learning experience. Yeah. And and there's just, you know, without getting into too many specifics and such, there was just um, a lot of things that because I didn't realize how much power I had in some instances that I let slide. Yeah. And I realized I should have put my foot down and said, absolutely not. We're not doing this or no, I, I need this or I want this. Yeah. Um, you know, and not just on the producing side, but some stuff on the crew side as well. Yeah. Um, and and I'm imagining, though, that that's, you know, again, that's a learning curve because you're yeah. you you don't want to overextend yourself and, you know, be a total control freak and piss people off. But at the same time, you don't want people taking advantage of you. Right. Exactly. Yes. It's finding yeah. walking that fine line. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you got through your first feature and what happened with that? Did that get released to theaters or did it go direct to a streamer or? No, that sold directly to Netflix. So it was independently financed and then it sold to Netflix UK and then Netflix US. Uh, it also sold to Amazon um, uh, Latin America. And then as far as other um, international sales stuff, I, I haven't been updated on that for a number of reasons, but, yeah. um, but uh, yes. Yeah, so it went on Netflix um, Christmas of 2020. And so that's been nice. <laughs> and, and so that was right before the pandemic hit, obviously, uh, that that the oh, no, that would have been uh, yeah, it was during in, right yeah. in the middle of the pandemic. So you, you did you shoot that before the pandemic hit? We shot it in uh, November 2019. So we were editing and working on it right when the pandemic hit and finishing wow. it. In the middle wow. Of all of yeah. And, and were you involved with, you know, because I, I don't think our listeners know that much about this, but when you do a film, uh, you want to distribute it worldwide if you can. Uh, yeah. So you have to dub it into languages. Were you involved in the dubbing process of uh, the films no. or did, does it go to like a service that kind of does that? Yeah, I think I think that's more in the independent side is probably how that goes. Um, like right now for My Favorite Girlfriend, we have an international sales company. And so we've been dealing with um, editorial and stuff of trying to get that um, situated for dubbing into different languages and stuff. And I don't imagine I'm going to be there to direct or do because it was such a low budget film. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I guess um, uh, for a low budget film, I'm wondering, do they only dub it into the languages where the tarot, like where they sell it? 
Like, in other words, oh, we're going to sell it to Latin America, so we'll go ahead and dub dub it into Spanish and, you know, Portuguese. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, if if it's not going to go to Russia, you're not going to dub it in Russian. Yes, exactly. Right. It's, it's a case yeah. by case basis. And some of the territories actually don't you know, necessarily do dubbing because it is more expensive. They may oh. just opt for subtitles. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Uh, uh, it's mm-hmm. interesting to, to hear that. So uh, you got your second feature, My Favorite Girlfriend. When did that come about and, and how did that come about? Um, so I came about because uh, an investor I wanted to work with for years um, knew about my experience, had seen my first film and had really liked it. Um, and he said, I know you had some difficulties on your first film. I'd really like you to have a movie that was entirely yours um, that I would like you to finance where you have final cut, you have final say, um, all the things. And so he says, come up with a story. And so I was asking my producing partner and I said, I'm just tapped out. You know, I've been writing all COVID. That's what else are we going to do? You know, so I've been touching up old scripts and writing new ones. I'm like, I don't have anything that can fit that budget. And so he was sending me scripts. My manager was sending me scripts. I just didn't like anything I was getting. It was just all atrocious. And then I was flipping through a notebook, trying to find somebody's email for something. And I said, oh, and so I talked to my producer, my manager and the investor. And I said, I have this idea. I said, what, what about, um, a script about a guy who thinks he has a perfect girlfriend because she comes in multiple different packages because she has multiple personalities and he never knows who I'm and who he's going to get. So it's like, he's dating all these different women, but he's not. And he should, they're like, yeah, that sounds really fun. Like, cool. <laughs> Can I read it? Like, well, I got to write it first because it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that could actually be a rom-com or a horror movie. right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, she does have that Blumhouse connection, so she could always go back to yeah. Blumhouse. And do a different yeah, and, and let me ask you something. I mean, with Blumhouse, did you like working on horror movies? Because I that, did, I did. That, that's a genre that I, 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 I generally, and Al John knows about this. He loves them. I generally don't go see those kinds of movies. Although, you know, I've had my exceptions, like the Halloween films with Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, I go see the Halloween movies. This is the occasional one I'll go see, but... You know, I I just generally some of these, you know, ones are are really just too scary for me. <laughs> well, I'm not a big fan of like the slasher things. I mean, they have to be smart horror for me. And I actually uh-huh. have a script that I've written and I'd like to start taking out in this new year. Um, but so I do like it, but I, it needs to have something unique and different about it. Like whether it's a supernatural element or just a twist or, or what have you. Now, uh, talk a little bit more about. My favorite girlfriend, because that's the one that's out on Hulu and mm-hmm. and hopefully people are going to watch that, uh, especially when they hear this interview. And I, I'm just curious, like that's your second feature. So was it, it was a little easier for you because you kind of know the ropes a, a bit at this point. Right. Because you've already done one feature. Mm-hmm. And uh, the question I, I would pose is. What was the difference? What was the shooting schedule? Did you have a, a more luxurious shooting schedule? Did you have stages on this one and that kind of thing? I had 12 days. <laughs> oh, so you had five days less to shoot this movie. Yeah. Wow. That is so, awesome. <laughs> so I, I was very grateful and very um, fortunate to have actors that would rehearse the heck out of it with me beforehand. Yeah. So we knew the blocking, we knew the rehearsal. So we showed up on set and we knew exactly what we were doing. Um, and that really, really made a difference. So now the rehearsal, did you do that in a like a rehearsal space? 
uh, that you would like tape it off and say, we're going to be in the kitchen and here's your marks and stuff like that. Like just with masking tape on the floor or was it, was it a little bit more elaborate than that? No, it was, it was a little more basic um, just because of, of time and budget of what we had, Yeah. Um, but it helped enough. And then even there was a couple things that, because, you know, Bonnie has to play, who's my lead actress, she had to play six different alters over the course of the movie. Right. You know, different personalities. And there was one that she was really struggling with and she's, she's a very, very sweet lady and she does like acoustic and stuff. And so this one alter is a rock star and she's like, I just kind of, I'm really, really worried about that one. So I really worked with her on that. And each one of the personalities is actually, um, or alters as, as they say, um, is based on a friends that I have and that I know. And so the woman that's based on the rock star, I actually had them, um, you know, meet and talk and kind of get a sense of a feel of how she talks and how she is on stage. And that really helped her. You would, have thought awesome. that, you would have thought that would have been a little easier for her because you're right. I mean, she is a singer-songwriter, right? And she mm -hmm. has a little bit of, of that. Plus, not only that, but she was, you know, Bonnie was recently in Obi-Wan on Disney Plus yeah. uh, reprising mm -hmm. her role. And she's a great actress. So at least, you know, you had that, um, you know, going for people to kind of recognize who she is and, and being in your first feature. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, she's she's lovely. We we've actually stayed in touch. I actually talked to her today on a Zoom. She's in Portugal right now. But wow, cool, <laughs> awesome, very nice. Yeah, yeah, she's um, yeah. I, I mean, hey, you know, we have Eastern, Central, and Pacific time zones here, but Portugal, wow, that'll be nice. <laughs> I love Portugal. Uh, I, I I did want to give our our listeners just a brief synopsis of my favorite girlfriend, which is on Hulu. Uh, it's a chef's life gets complicated when he falls for a beautiful young woman. Who has multiple personalities? Let's that play the trailer. Let's play the trailer. Sentence. Let's play the trailer. Yeah, go ahead, play the trailer. All right. Late and you're using my oven. You touch that pan once more without asking, and I will break your fingers. Hi, Molly. So how long is this one gonna last? She's different. I'm Vanessa. I've been seeing her for weeks now. I'm Sarah. And, uh... I'm Silk. She kind of has multiple personalities. Oh, hell no. Who are you? Not again. She legit doesn't remember conversations from when she's someone else. Somebody told me <laughs> she's like a roller coaster. Drink up! There's so much about her, I don't know. This better not be a game to you. I'm usually the guy that walks out the door, but this time, I don't want to be. You always find something wrong with them. They leave makeup on my white towels. They rearrange my action figures. You always have an excuse. Why this one? I just want to understand her. Don't break her heart. She's literally my favorite girlfriend ever. I want to help her. She's been hurt before. If only she could see what I could see. I told you, I don't care how many women you date, they just can't make you late. There are five of them, actually. Take off your apron and get up. I, You know, I have to say, Amanda, the trailer for this is fabulous. Did, did you have input on the trailer? Um, I didn't really. Saban Films sent it to us, and I actually didn't really have any notes. There's only, like, one thing that I was like, yeah, maybe not that, but... Otherwise, um, I thought they really nailed it and did a really because nice you know, and and Al John and I have talked about this uh, over the years with our podcast. Trailers are designed 
to tell you exactly what the movie is about and why you should go see it. Right. When I see a really good trailer at the end of that trailer, I'm like, Oh, I want to see that movie, you know? And I have to say when I watched the trailer uh, for my favorite girlfriend, uh, I felt like, Hey, I want to see this movie, you know? And I thought it was a very good trailer. Uh, Unlike strange world from Disney animation. Wow. You know, that was, that was a disaster, right? You didn't know what that trailer, you didn't know what that movie was about and you didn't care. (laughs) You didn't care. Nobody had a clue, you know? And so that's all I would say is you want to see a great trailer, watch my favorite girlfriend, the trailers on YouTube. So you can catch that. And you just heard it on our show. So, but as far as the shooting, you had five, less days but did you feel more prepared because you had the rehearsal time and all of that yeah I, yeah I did and and because I knew it was going to be such a short schedule you know we really were very um careful with our planning for shots and what we needed and again just had everything is as buttoned up as we could before even getting to to set yeah and and did uh did you do everything location again or did you have any stages no nope. stages. So really the state when, when they, when they build sets on stages, that's really big budget movies. Yes. Yes. Right. So mm-hmm. you get, you got to have some hefty budget for that. And uh, with the crew and the, the cast that you had on my favorite girlfriend, uh, obviously a lot of the folks uh, in the cast have had quite a bit of experience Mm-hmm. Um, and so are, do you find with some of the more experienced actors that they like to take on these smaller, uh, films, uh, not just because it's a job, but because it's just, they're getting more experience in front of the camera or it's just, it's work. Um, and for some of them, it's work. I think for others, um, it's just, they, you know, they have like two of them had like relationship with one of my producers, okay. um, like Rhea Bruzo and Alec Mappa. And they're like, yeah, if, if David's doing David Lipper's the producer and he's like, if David's on it, like, yeah, sure. And they read the script and they liked it and they liked me and they're like, yeah, sure. Let's go have fun. You know, it's just like, okay. do I have a lot to play with this person? And it's like, and, yeah. And, and so some of them, and I'm imagining it's a scheduling thing. Like if they have, if they had a, you know, a, a break in their schedule and this comes along and it drops yeah. right in, they're like, oh yeah, I can do that. That'd be fun. You know? Mm-hmm. Awesome. What, what else did you uh, feel like you felt more comfortable shooting this movie because it was your second feature. Um, yeah, and I mean, and by the way, you produce and direct and you, yeah. you wrote the script on this, right? I did all three. Okay. Awesome. Yep. And I have a little cameo in it too. Oh, do you really? Oh, <laughs> we're going to have to be looking out for you. Nancy <laughs> so and I'll look at Nancy and I'll see you and go. We knew her when we knew her when. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's my goal moving forward. I always stick myself in everything I do. So I, I think that's fun. I, you know, I, I really do. I think that that's awesome. I mean, that's like Stan Lee and there's, there's other, other filmmakers where Hitchcock. there's these little, yeah. <laughs> Hitchcock. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, what's next for you, Amanda? Um, well, next I have, uh, I have an Amityville docuseries that's coming out on MGM plus it's looking like April of next year. It's a four part docuseries about the Amityville murders back in 1974, the 75 area. Um, I can't say much about it, but it is the time. That's okay. Because I grew up in the town next to Amityville. 
I was living in that town, Massapequa, next to Amityville, Long Island, uh, when those murders happened. And I have driven by the Amityville Horror House many times on a Halloween night. See, Amanda, so. this is this is the thing, Amanda. This is what Dave doesn't <laughs> say, say on the podcast. And so all of our listeners, be wary. There's always that one person that enters the haunted house that says, I'm getting out of here. Dave was that smart guy. He said, I'm getting the heck out of here. I'm leaving. It's actually, you know, I have to say that house is in a very beautiful area. Sure is. Um, uh, And I mean, there's a lot of really old, uh, beautiful, large Victorian homes in that neighborhood. I love uh, just going through Amityville and that that area of Long Island. There's a lot of history there. So I'm I'm um, curious, though, Amanda, what drew you to doing the project about Amityville or house? Well, my mom is from Long Island. And so a lot of this is around like her time period as well. And so she, you know, for that, it's like, oh man, like she could help me out or talk about certain things or, you know, it's like, oh yeah, I remember that guy on TV. And I remember this, this was like really big when I was a kid. And so, um, so that was like interesting to me. And one of the executive producers, uh, we were doing another project together and she brought it to me and said, hey, I found this guy that has like 26 year relationships with all these people that have never spoken on camera before and are now willing to tell their side of the story. So this is why this is different than any other Amityville you've ever seen. People we have never seen before are going to be talking. That's great. Um, me, that was like, wow, we're breaking new ground. It's like not rehashing the same old stuff. And I was like, that's interesting. Anything to do with the Amityville horror, uh, just the scenery is beautiful. Not the horror itself, but the, <laughs> the actual neighborhood. The area, is yeah. But, but I, you know, something, there's so many different facets to that story. I hope people will watch it. And I hope this docuseries is actually, uh, you know, maybe, you know, puts the final nail in the coffin i guess i should say wow i I should say that you know maybe maybe if it just sort of finally um you know tells the complete story yeah it is meant to be the definitive version of the true story of everything that happened and that went down wow that's awesome i am curious i I, I am curious amanda because you know we we (laughs) kind of went over a little bit of your history and working in, in or, or loving animation enough that you wanted to work for Disney and a part of your resume, a huge part of it is the fact that you were working in production for all these animated TV shows and things like that. And Tinkerbell and the great fairy rescue. Um, what are some of those lessons that you've learned going into this business that you thought, Oh yeah, you know, this is going to be no problem or whatever, but you overcame them because there's so much that can happen working in, TV production or, you know, or even with Disney and in, in those projects, was there, were there some, you know, really big lessons that you've learned um, that you're able to take with you in your career? Um, some of the things that I learned in TV, um, I was fortunate to work with a lot of really wonderful people um, that I'm still kind of friends with and have been mentors to me even to this day. Um, so that's been very lovely. Um as far as challenges, I wouldn't say at Disney, and I wouldn't say specifically, but I learned how not to run a show at one place I was at. And I was like, oh, so these are all things I will never do when I'm running an animated show. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah. making copious notes. <laughs> you know, that I, that's great that you said that because, you know, some of the learning things are not necessarily you know, uh, well, I mean, you, you, you can take positivity away from it and exactly just apply it and say, yeah, I'm not going to do this the, like this. You know, this is, this is, this is madness. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I have to say, you've had great experiences working at Disney, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> working with me, right? <laughs> so, so, so what project did you work on with Dave? Can we talk about that? Yeah, you oh, can talk about that. We were, yeah, yeah, we were you, in special projects. Yeah. Oh, you yeah, were both Amanda, in special Amanda projects. Spe- yeah, Amanda was part of special projects uh, early on, actually, uh, when it was really starting to sort of, I guess, really coalesce again, you know, because uh, special projects has a, a long history at uh, Disney animation. I, it really goes back uh, to the late 1930s. And there's just been these many different incarnations and um, versions of what special projects is and could be. What type of, what can you talk about the, a special project that you and Dave worked on Amanda um, that was either in, I guess, either an animated film special or theme park attraction in that realm? Um, I'd say the ones I loved the most that I wasn't like there from the inception, but more towards the tail end, but I loved like Lorenzo and Destino and the little match girl. And that was just kind of like being mm-hmm. finalized and stuff while I was there. And I just thought all three of those were just beautiful. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Really yeah. wonderful. Were, were you there when we were doing the Winnie the Pooh educational films? Yes. Yes, yeah. I was. With the, that, was <laughs> that was the other one, the Winnie the Pooh educational films. I love the educational films that I was involved with and special projects at hand in, you know, because they, they really did something for children. And actually, Andrew Austin, who worked on that, did the opening titles for My Favorite Girlfriend. Oh, fantastic. Wow. So you have animated titles? Is that do I have animated to look for, animated titles? Fantastic. That Andrew so Austin. I, I, I have to get Andrew Austin on this show. <laughs> yeah, That's he awesome. did a wonderful job. And I, I really, you know, I, keeping I, animation, I will always have a soft spot for it. Actually, a couple of animated projects that I'm taking out in the new year, um, series and feature ideas. Um, awesome. But uh, yeah, so I was like, I want animated opening titles. Dang it. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. That's like city slickers, you know? Yeah, that, no, that's cool. I think it lends itself yeah. to the, you know, maybe the the actual storyline of, of, of this feature that you're doing. So I'm looking forward to seeing that on Hulu. Yeah, there's so. little in-jokes in the opening credits that once you see the movie, you're like, oh, that's what that was. Mm. Nice. I, I do want to say, uh, aside from the Amityville horror series, docuseries, what else? And, and you said MGM Plus. Yes. Which is currently, is it epic, epic or epic? I see epic. you call epic. it epic. It, did this, does everybody over there call it epic? Um, epics. Okay, epics. Okay, because I, I, it's a running thing with us. When I watch something, I call it either epic or epic. I don't know what to say. Anyway, because <laughs> um, you can go either way on it. <laughs> but but they are they have changed the name now to MGM Plus, or yes. they're in the process of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So aside from the docu series, um, you want to do another feature, obviously. And and I'm imagining in live in live action, you start with these very low budget features and you're building your way up until you have that 50 hundred million dollar budget right yes (laughs) eventually right that that's where you go but does does each film kind of incrementally go up in budget for you as you so people are saying oh well she did okay with that three million dollar budget film let's give her five million Right. You know, and then, you know, ah, she didn't flame out on five million. We'll give her 10 now. All right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, OK, we clearly do it. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and how do you feel about 
you as a woman director in the industry? Do you do you feel like you've had uh, more struggles or, you know, a tougher time or. Uh, I, I do. I do still feel there's a sense of that because everyone says they're clamoring for female directors. And I said, you know, not not just me, but other women directors that I know are not exactly having people knock down their door. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's still some of the same old, same old people that they're hiring again and again. And it's just like, you know, hi, I have feature experience yeah. um, and animation experience. And I worked in publicity and I'm just I'm very well rounded in terms of I've kind of touched every different area of the craft. And I really yeah. understand it. Um so, yeah, it is difficult. I mean, I've, I've seen people that I know that are male directors that, you know, just immediately get hired or get the meeting. And then you're sitting there in the meeting and there's kind of like, why is a man in the meeting? It's like, um, cause she wrote the script. I'm like, hi. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so there's still, there's still a lot of that kind of the, it's in other words, it's a nuisance yeah. and it's, and it's an extra struggle for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, there's still the instance where it's like, you know, okay, well, I know this this person's not going to respond to me, so I'll have the male producer do it, and they'll respond to him. And it's just, I unfortunately, that's just how it is for some things. Wow, Ooh. wow, yeah. that that's just awful. And 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 with like a film like My Favorite Girlfriend, how do you measure success uh, for that film when it goes directly to a streamer? <laughs> Um, well, it does, you know, work begets more work. So if people see that and I'm like, wow, I'd really love to have you attached to this film, you know, because yeah. I don't only direct things that I write. I will also do other people's work as well. Sure. If they attach me to a script, as long as I have some say in the, in the story. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, did people watch it and make comments and, um, you know, for me, and if anybody responds back and says, you know, thank you for this film. You know, I had a daughter that had um, DID and, you know, nobody really took her seriously and stuff. And I feel like this movie was for her. So thank you. So when I get things like that, it just, right. that really, that, it good. always makes you feel good. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. When, when you it get the, dir- purpose, yeah. the direct feedback like that mm-hmm. um, it is, you know, usually when a movie goes into the theaters, they measure it with box office success. How do they measure it on the streamers? Is it, um, is it just viewership, like viewing hours or something, something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think it's viewing. So it's, you know, they always say it's like, oh, if you're even, if you don't want to watch the whole thing, I'd love for you to watch it. But just turning it on and letting it run gives us another, you know, additional hit as far as you know, okay. viewership and stuff. Um, I haven't seen the numbers yet. Again, it just came out on mm-hmm. Hulu. So um, and then I didn't get the numbers on um, You Are My Home or anything yet, but. Um, it's a little harder to gauge on the streamers. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. I think they're still trying to figure out like, how do you, yeah. how do you measure this stuff? But um, my favorite girlfriend is on Hulu. It's directed by Amanda Raymond produced and written by Amanda Raymond. Uh, and I'm just so thrilled uh, to have had you on the skull rock podcast to talk about this. And we're getting you, at sort of, you still at the, I don't want to say infancy, but the beginning of your feature film career. So I hope when you have a massive tentpole blockbuster that <laughs> you'll actually still respond to my request to have you come, come on to the Skull Rock podcast and talk about your latest movies. Always, Dave. Always. always <laughs> <for> you. <laughs> I'm going to text James Gunn right now and be like, hey, Wonder Woman reboot. 
I there spell a reboot. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I go. I'm hireable. Come on, let's go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Amanda, Amanda uh, you know, you have the great distinction of being uh, on the Skull Rock podcast, and this show is actually uh, going to be one of the early shows for 2023. So uh, you're going to be helping us kick off. Uh, I guess we could honestly say it's our third year, right? I think our, so, Dave. Has it been three wow. years? Yeah, I think we could say it's the beginning of our third year on the air. Actually, maybe it's the beginning of our fourth year. I, I don't Let remember. Me see. We started in October 2020. Then we did 2021. Now we're at the end of 2022. So this is the beginning of our fourth calendar oh year on the air. That's crazy. This is craziness. This is craziness. You know? I can't believe it's been that long, Dave. Yeah, I know. It's it blows really my mind. Amazing. It blows my mind. Well, Amanda, thank you very much for being on the Skull Rock podcast. As you can hear, the, the studio audience is going crazy, as they always do. Calm down, you people. You're nuts. Uh, thank you very much for being on the show. And we look forward to having you back on again really soon to talk about your next incredible film. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much both for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Amanda. We'll see you soon. All right. Take care. And we're out. Okay. Well, that was terrific. Perfect. Yay. Thank you. Are you happy? Do you want anything cut out? Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one for a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your main street to the world of Disney. Another wonderful interview with Amanda Raymond, Dave. It's so great to uh, to see the two of you back together after so many years. I know. It was really terrific talking with her. And, you know, I, I have to tell you, I run into people like Amanda at different functions. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I you know I haven't seen you in so long. I have to have you on the show. And uh, that, that's really how we book a lot of our guests, you yeah. know. Uh, and uh, I have to tell you, it was great. It was great catching up with her. And uh, she's really doing some amazing stuff. Yeah, check her out. Uh, she's got a lot of shows there on IMDb. So check out her work. And, of course, My Favorite Girlfriend now streaming on Hulu. Please check it out. But uh, it's amazing. You know, these people come in working as you know, crew and they, they come in as writers and writers assistants and working on promotions and, and different scenes, uh, behind the scenes things. And they just kind of grow and blossom into where she is now being a, an excellent writer and director. And it's, isn't it great though, to see her kind of career, uh, you know, kind of take off as it were. Absolutely. From it's always great to know people when, Right. I knew I knew her when, you know, pretty soon, pretty soon. She's not going to remember who I was. Oh, come on. <laughs> well, she she is a delight. So uh, we wish her all the luck in her new films and, and things that are coming out. So definitely check that out for sure. Well, uh, once again, gang, if you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're there. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, for sure follow us also follow our podcast give us a subscribe a like leave us those five star reviews uh you can also email dave and myself david and aljohn or aljohn at skullrockpodcast.com and uh before i head out i also have to let everyone know that uh, we are winding down the disney list so you uh, are why we are we are the kids dave the kids Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. We're winding down and the Disney all, And also because the Skull Rock podcast oh, yeah. is so huge. It's, now. it's huge. It's blowing up. Right? So, I mean, it's huge. We're all, a, we're a global, we're a global, it's part of the global empire. That's right. right. So, but uh, the Disney list, to have no fear, uh, will be reborn 
into kind of a uh, uh, YouTube uh, show showcase of shorts. So we'll get to see lists come down from Instagram and YouTube with our friend Kat R. Corey, and of course, my wife, Kristen. So we're going to put out, it, it's not going to be a podcast anymore. It's just going to be quick video clips. You'll see a okay. different list. Right. You'll see well, that good. It's, coming out. It's, it's evolving. It's evolving. It's evolving. Excellent. So it's going to be great. So please check out the Disney list. And also, uh, we're still doing uh, Dining at Disney. So that shows twice a week. So please, if you want more Disney and you enjoy Disney food like Dave and I do, please check out Dining at Disney podcast. So Dave, once again, you've got the last word. Well, Al John, I have to tell you, uh, it's just, I mean, we're, we are, I can't even believe we're almost, uh, hitting the end of January. You know I mean? We're, we're barreling to the end of January. I don't know where the time is going. It's been busy as can be, but I will say, uh, to everybody out there, check out, uh, If you want to read some free articles, there's a whole bunch of, uh, articles up on different topics that are related to Disney. Uh, you can also, if you're interested in any of my books, check out theoldmillpress.com. Uh, and with that, uh, I will say we'll see you here next week, right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. <laughs>